Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tell Us What's in the Box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the <laughs> box? It's getting to that, that holiday time. We just had our Halloween episode uh, where I embarrassed myself thoroughly, but uh, we won't talk about that too much. I embarrassed myself too, so it's to- it's totally fine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Today we have our first uh, short story anthology. We've done short stories, a short story on on the on the podcast before, but we haven't done a full anthology. But to- today we are going to fix that. Um, The anthology we're going to do today is Let's Play White, a 2011 short story collection by Dr. Chesia Burke, uh, who's an assistant professor of English and U.S. literature at Stetson University. Um, This collection has 11 uh, short stories in it, and so we're going to talk about them, the relationships in the stories, and the overall themes of of relationships in here. Um, So... Yeah. Yeah. Themes of the relationships. And then um, there's a lot of reoccurring themes and motifs um, that basically cover, you know, how Africans, Americans are viewed in this country. (laughs) And it goes through. um, I found like a lot of the stories are just very – like they they start off like you think they're going to go one way and then it goes in the complete opposite direction and it totally changes your perspective of the situation of the protagonist and oftentimes once you get to the end of the story like you see that person in an entirely new light and i don't know if it was the same thing for for you Danny but sometimes i just kind of sat there and I was like, oh, wow, that wasn't going where I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And I had to like pick apart and dissect. I'm like, am I bringing like my own stereotypes of the situation as it's presented on the page? And that's why I thought it was going in one direction. Or was the story purposefully trying to push me in that direction? And oftentimes, like I couldn't come to an actual consensus on that just yeah uh. a lot of the stories didn't have um like like solid i mean some of them had uh you know i mean they had conclusions and that's not what i'm trying to say what i'm trying to say is a lot of the stories were the endings were open-ended the stories had more where the story stopped it was more you know, there was more to it. There, there was more that was happening. It was opening to a world at the end of the stories or opening to a thought or opening to, to something else. So the stories weren't, weren't pat, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I, I felt that was like a good thing. You know, these were the type of stories that make you think. So, yeah. you know, rather than, I mean, they did tell stories, but they were stories that kind of led you at the end to just kind of thinking about what the implication was of what was going to happen, you know, and sometimes, you know, it was just the character made a decision and you didn't see the the consequence of that decision. And sometimes you even see a lot of what led up to it, um, like in purse. 
mm-hmm. you just uh you know it just is it's that you know yeah. and um yeah i don't know if i'm explaining it exactly right but it was one of those where where it led led you to to a bigger philosophy of of thinking or thought thinking about what what you were yeah you know what you had read yeah i think and you you just mentioned purse i think that short story is a kind of a perfect example of what we're trying to like get at here and still like do these stories in part in in purse that particular story like trying to do this justice because i think like we're still sorting out like all of the emotions that hit us almost we got to the end of these stories and i think for purse in particular um yeah we definitely don't know the events that led up to you know the baby being in the purse or what happened to it um, if it was like a self-abortion or like a miscarriage or like something, we don't know yeah, we like, don't what know. happened to this character. But I think what I think what the reader at the end is supposed to take note of is their own like reaction or assumptions of how that character got there or what happened and how they're judging that character. And I yeah. think that story seemed like that that was the important important point about it so yeah yeah so you know let's talk about well let's talk about purse since you brought up it's the second story in the collection i think it's also the shortest if i I remember right i think it's the shortest too and it's one of those things where you know you get a perception because you're in her her mind of protecting her purse you know everything's in her purse money is in her purse and her ids and everything like that you know and and we understand that i mean most anybody would understand that you know if you have a lot of money in your purse if you have a lot of this that or the other thing you know you'd be scared that somebody was going to take it right and she had this almost you know uh you know she was paranoid about that you know we can understand that and then the guy who was across from her and then the whole touching thing and everything like that. And we had been seeing him through her eyes. But then when you realize that he's concerned about her and then she's bleeding and all of this other stuff and they open the purse and, you know, the baby is inside. It, you know, it changes everything. You know, it changes everything. Like, obviously, I mean, the things that you, I could conclude at least, I don't know about mm-hmm. you, was that this had just happened. Yeah. I mean, she's still, she's still pleading. She's still, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, so the, you're not left with a conclusion. You know, it, it, she's protective of this bag. You know, these people are concerned about her that you find out they open it and the baby is there. So what that story really does is make you think about what led up to that, what would cause somebody to do that. You know, she was afraid of it being taken away, of, of things being taken away from her. Yeah. And you have to think, you know, what, what made her feel that way? What had been taken away from her? You know, I mean, cause most of us, you know, what situation was she in that she could put the baby in the bag? You know, yeah, this must have happened on her own. You know, she wasn't like a hospital or anything like that. No. And you I mean, know? like, 
it she she does mention that like her husband had recently left because oh he doesn't you know he can't emotionally support a wife and family and all that stuff so i was kind of under the impression that she already had kids Mm -hmm. um and then as far as you know where she got the money from i feel like she immediately got that money that day and there has to be some sort of connection between the money and the baby being in the purse but it's we obviously don't get that because we go from like her kind of very paranoid point of view to where once we like kind of pull away from close third to an omniscient third person point point of view like right right at that um like right at that moment when the man reaches out to touch her and that's when you realize like okay this it's an unreliable narrator to an extent um you know so maybe the money it's not actually money it's Mm -hmm. a baby and Yeah. yeah but then she knows it's the baby so for me it was it was a little I'm still trying to figure it out just because when I got to the end, it just like cut so deep down in my soul. And I'm like, what? Like, I can't even begin to understand what this woman might might be going through. But I have to imagine it was a choice that she made, but not because she actually had a real choice to make. Mm -hmm. She Like, her hand was forced. Yeah whatever that was yeah yeah so what that story makes you think about is is you know what would bring somebody to that you know what i mean i i think that's what really what that story did for me is what kinds of things would have had to happen for this woman to end up in that situation yeah and and that's the horrifying part you know, I mean, that's that's the horrifying part. You know, it's horrifying she had a baby in her bag, but what's more horrifying to me is sitting there and pondering. And we don't know. We have to kind of make that for ourselves as to what what would have brought her to that. What, yeah. what series of choices by her or other people like the, like the man she was with and all of that stuff yeah. to bring her to that point to be sitting there on the subway the new york subway with you know a fetus in her bag yeah that just happened and it just happened yeah you know? and where, I think, where was she going where was she yeah, where, where was yeah. she going what was what was she planning to do where was we didn't get that i don't think or where i mean she she was coming from somewhere and i assumed that that she was going home that um, yeah that that kind of made sense to me i mean i could be wrong but that was my my reading of it um but even if she was going home what was her plan you know she yeah. i mean you know, was she going, you know, we don't know. And you just have to kind of sit with that. You don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're sort of, when you think about it, it's sort of like, we're the people in the subway. We're yeah. probably not going to find out. We're just observing this. You know, if we were a person on the subway, we would see this happen. Yeah. And, you know, she would probably be taken away and, and we wouldn't, you know, and so you're just left with that. We're kind of made to be spectators in that. So, yeah. 
and it would be very like going back to the whole um your reaction at the end if you judge this woman or not if you think she's a horrible person or not like if you assume you know what happened i think that is if if you're going to leap to like some bad conclusions i think that's really telling about your own personal perspectives because stuff like this like maybe not exactly like this but there's been so many stories of like you know women abandoning their babies because they can't take care of them uh, you know things things like that leaving babies in front of uh, a a fire station women keeping it a secret that that they're pregnant you know things things like that you know um teen girls giving up their babies for for adoption and for me like yeah i totally agree we are those people on the train with her watching everything happen yeah and not yeah. knowing just just coming into the story at that moment yeah and then having to fill in the blanks yeah you know so yeah so that one's you know so i think that story's more about like our relationship with with seeing somebody in a horrible situation or, yeah. or a situation that's obviously you know a, a low point or you know a bad place you know yeah and how do we feel how does it make us feel how do we how do we process that yeah you know I just want to give her a hug because clearly she she didn't she was distrusting of so many different people on the train to varying degrees. Yeah. But especially the man that was right there in front of her, like she was assuming he was gonna take her purse or like hit on her or yeah. or something. She was extremely nervous. Mm-hmm. And I mean uh, being a woman and taking yeah. transportation and like being seated next to individuals that you just get like a weird vibe <laughs> them it's like okay take a step back do they really have a weird vibe or are you kind of putting on a past experience onto this stranger right here in front of you yeah and there was actually that is a great segue into <laughs> our story the first story in the collection walter and the three-legged king mm-hmm. Um, because in that story, we had that, that this woman, you know, Walter was freaked out about, uh, the the rat talking to him. Um, you know, this story, you know, just felt, you know, there's a desperation in this, in this particular, um, and story. And honestly, I feel like that's a big part of all of these stories mm-hmm. is desperation. There's desperate people in bad situations in all of these stories. And I think that's yeah. a big theme here. And Walter starts that off right away in the anthology. Um, you know, he doesn't have a job. He's about to lose an apartment. He doesn't have family. You know, he's been trying to get a job, you know, and this rat, keeps you know haunting him and like he gets mad because it's feeding off of whatever is left behind which is doesn't which isn't much you know yeah until he finally gets mad and rips off this thing's leg <laughs> on accident but they put it in his pocket <laughs> <clears throat> yeah and 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 does that and 
then the rat starts talking to him. So mm-hmm. I guess the question here is, I guess the question in this story is, oh, is that what's happening? Or is Walter, it's very Poe-esque mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the kind of mental state that kind of is going through this story has a very Poe-esque kind of, you know, is he imagining this or is this what really is happening? And does it matter? I, right? Yeah. I mean, it could very well be his conscience. And, but I mean, it's it's a talking rat. So I'm going to go by what the narrator is seeing. And okay, it's a literal talking rat. And, yeah. you know, he freaks out and runs outside and away and uh, just because <laughs> i mean what what would you do if yeah right started yeah, talking yeah, to you yeah um but to go back to what you said about desperation um this one this first story kind of like hit home a little bit for me um oh yeah and, yeah just because it was very obvious i mean it was I mean, this uh, this anthology was published in 2011, right? And I don't know when this particular story was first published, but there's a lot of references to the recession that happened mm-hmm. in the U.S., um, you know, like 08, 09. Mm-hmm. And then by the time, like, 2011 kind of rolled around, like, things were starting to get back to normal. But if you were white and yeah. – um, and this story like directly make like makes it a point to say that you know when walter's landlord you know says i you know hey the recession is supposed to be over why are you having such a hard time like trying to find a job and mm-hmm. peter walt walter just doesn't say to him but we we read it in in his thoughts you know like well the recession you know, never ended for, for black people. Yeah. And, um, also this is as, as like a side note, um, the rat, the, like one, one of the first things that he says to Walter is let's play white, which is the The name of the collection. Yeah. And the whole story from then it, it becomes very clear that, you know, in order to play white, Walter has to conform to a part of white culture that sees yeah. people of color in more service positions, right? Because mm-hmm. he, he's been trying to get a job and he can't find anything. And what he did prior to this, like he was a foreman, I think, at yeah, like manager, a factory. Yeah. yeah, which is a very like- For like 10 years. Yeah, yeah prestigious job. And he worked his way up the ladder, which is what you're supposed to do in America, right? Right. But- American dream. American dream, yeah. For some. For, for some, right. But- the recession hit and obviously that was going to be an an issue um and it was it was an issue for him so he ends up taking a job as a doorman at a hotel and basically giving into something he didn't want to do but he needed to do it to survive he had to play white to fulfill the stereotype that his landlord and white culture sees of him. 
Right. And again, which is what the rat yeah. was saying, you know, acquiesce, yeah. you know, let's play white, you know, just like give yeah. in, you know, and then they're kind of rehearsing their, their, you know, rich white voices and stuff like that. And it's this, this thing that you, you know, and you feel, you know, at least I felt I'm like, you know, it, it's nothing like that for me. Like, you know, yeah. we can say that, and I'm sure we both have had the experience of, you know, we've had to, I've worked in retail, I've worked in food service, and you have to do, say a lot of things, have an attitudes that you don't want to have because people yeah. are wretched in those type of positions, you know? And so you have to, but it's nothing like that. It's nothing, it's, it's nothing, you know, and as women, we've had that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when we've been in jobs and trying to speak up and trying to, you know, we have to do certain things, you know, just, just the other day I had to call, I had to, I had to email somebody and be like, you know, basically state, you know, the state of things that was going on, but, but because it'd been trained to me and I didn't even realize until I sent it, it was this very conciliatory thing, you know, mm -hmm. it was just very conciliatory of when I really didn't have anything to apologize for. It's yeah. just what's been trained into you to be, you know, and it's nothing yep. like what this is. It's so much worse than that. You yeah. know, you're, you're not just having to be conciliatory. You're having to erase yourself. You're having to erase your dignity. You know, you're having to erase, you know, being a yeah. person. Yeah. And I mean, you know, in a realistic situation, you know, how many people would assume like if the main character was white, would more people assume that that person's life was actually affected by the recession and they're taking this job to survive versus, oh, this is a black man. You know, he's probably done this job his entire life, which no, that's obviously not the case with this character. But it also, without directly hitting on that, like that was one of the other things that stood out to me the most, you know, like, if all these like jobs that uh, that Walter is trying to get are going to white individuals, we have no no idea. But I think just the way our society is, like instantly people would think like, oh, this person hasn't been, you know, they're doing this job to survive, not because they've done it forever, mm -hmm. based on the color of their skin. And I mean, my my dad, like when the first like the recession in the 90s when that mm -hmm. happened he had a nice tech job designing computer hardware and everything and company went under he was let go so there was a period of time where to help bring in more income and make ends meet because my mom just had a teaching job um which didn't pay very much but back then um, hey, my dad still don't honey they still don't dear god um it was you and i both know that yes <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, he took a job as a manager at a Toys R Us. Mm. Right. So that's when I say it hit home for me, not because I understand what it is to be black and have to conform to white culture. It just made me think like, 
my dad had to take that job, but nobody was going to question like, oh, he's only taking this job because this, this is the only thing that he's skilled for. Right. It's a different yeah. perception. Yeah. It's a different perception. Yeah. They would assume with somebody who's black that, you know, that's all that they could get. Yeah. Whereas with your dad, it would be, oh, you know, this is probably just what he has to do or this is what he wants to do. It's completely different yeah. mindsets. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Absolutely. It's this whole illusion of that blacks have the same life choices as whites do. Uh-huh. But we know that that is not the case. Like right. Because of systemic racism issues – within this country and that's what all of these stories point out i mean conforming to white culture working in um service jobs that aren't paid very very well and then the stereotypes of like you know the conjure woman here and gambling and and all this other jobs that will get indoor things that um, the people in the stories were doing and how they got to do. But yeah, it is. And it's this weird cognitive dissonance that we have where we can look at somebody in one job and because they're white, we figure, oh, they must have to do that. You know, we, we feel like, a, like a, wow, you know, how great it is they're doing what they need to do for their family to survive, right? Yeah. Yeah, Like somebody working at McDonald's, you know, you see a white person working at McDonald's, you know, an adult and, you know, because for some reason we think, you know, just working at McDonald's is for teenagers or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. Well, that's a whole different thing. But, you know, you see a white person working at McDonald's and it's like, oh, they're doing what they can to, to, you know, provide for their family and everything. You know, we should respect that and all of this other stuff. But you see a black person doing the same thing and it's all of a sudden like, oh, they should, they should go to school and they should do this, that, and the other thing. Right. You know, it was like, it was like, uh, the, the actor Jeffrey Owens, I think the actor Mm -hmm. from the Cosby show. And somebody took a picture of him working at Trader Joe's. Right. Yeah. And put it on the internet like making fun of him for doing that right and it's like and then thankfully a lot of people i saw were like it's disgusting he's doing what he needs to do and what he you know like yeah you you know like like he's still working hard he's a working member of society right you know just why is this different yeah why is it any different yeah so Well, we're like halfway through. We've only talked about like two stories. <laughs> so I, we, we, All right. I'll we let might you be here. <laughs> I clearly had a lot to say. I'll let it's you. Okay. We're not restricted to Oh, you. yeah. We'll get through what we'll get through, you know? I'm just saying, I'm like, wow, I guess we have a lot to say. Yeah. I mean, it, it's important to discuss these kinds of things and you know, to try to <laughs> be better people. Yeah. For sure. But yeah. Then, yeah. So uh, I make people do bad things. Uh, it was the third story. Um, this was actually my favorite. Mm. Honestly, I really liked this one. Mostly because it has character in it, characters in it. 
Mm-hmm. And I really love to see whenever I see them. They're characters who kind of do things like they do things under the table, but they're, but they have still have, you know, it's not the normal, like, you know, you see, you see gangsters or something and they're all like bad people and they just do this for whatever. It's like people who do things that they're good at, mm-hmm. you know, and they try to do it as honorably as they can. And, and you know, the situations that they're getting themselves into, um, and try to like make better for themselves was really interesting. And plus I really love relationships like between the one in between Bumpy and Queenie, mm-hmm. um, her like main enforcer and her and herself. I really love relationships like that. Yeah. You know, so I really enjoyed reading this, but I mean, the story itself about, I don't know. What did you feel that one particular one was about? How about this one? Um, it, it was definitely an interesting modern retelling of like the stereotype of the the conjure woman, mm-hmm. like voodoo things, things like that. Um, and I liked Queenie very much as a character. Like, obviously, she's a businesswoman in Harlem, so she's going to be, you know, like tough no nonsense, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know. (laughs) It was, um, I think it's, it's, she, she kind of loses her power towards the end a little bit when she shows her fear of, um, Shiv. Yeah. And, I think, you know, what the story is definitely doing is taking that stereotype of, like, a witchy type of black woman and trying to not necessarily turn it on its head, but present it in a different way that's obviously not stereotypical mm-hmm. whatsoever. And that is what I appreciated um, a lot about it. And, yeah. yeah. I and I, I mean... It- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I think in this one, it's what, what do you give up? Yeah. You know what I mean? When you have to weigh, you know, what you think will happen, what you've built, what Queenie has built. Mm-hmm. And then having Shiv and wanting to have her around, not wanting things to end up the way that they are. But then, but then, making that choice of, of if she keeps Shiv around, you know, what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's her ally in the story, but then exactly as you said, and that's a really, really good point. She, she's an ally, but then Queenie begins to realize like she, oh yeah, she's been great, but there could be more problems than it's worth. Like having this person on my side to keep my business going and not letting my enemies take over and, you know, things, things like that. Um, which I also thought, um, it really spoke to the whole historical aspect 
of how a lot of blacks throughout histories have just had their property and business and things like that just forcibly taken from them just because the government says, oh, we're going to build a park here, you know, like, yeah, like Central Park, Park, New York. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like having an ally in Shiv who can, you know, will people to death. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, it's good to have an ally, but not like when you start killing off your enemies <laughs> to protect mm-hmm. your business because then um, you're just doing what other people have done like to your ancestors, basically, like forcibly taking from them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's that emotional like panic of, I don't want this taken from me. I worked so hard to build this. And that's, yeah. you know, that, that, that was another good point that, that you brought up. So yeah, it's like, it's like you have to make choices. A lot of the people in these stories have to make horrible choices, mm-hmm. you know, and choices that are not necessarily, you know, it's kind of funny, right? A lot of these, a lot of the stories that were in one, one difference that I noted in these stories was that, you know, a lot of stories and something, I don't know if you got taught studying, you know, writing and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but, uh, you know, the stories are, the story and the, and what happens is often more powerful based off the decisions the characters make, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, make make it so that the character makes those decisions and they end up in these situations based on their own, you know, motives, their own morals, their own personality. And, you know, so it's no fault of their own of where they are. You know, I've gotten told that. I know. And you, and you read it in writing books. Mm-hmm. I said, but uh, these stories, a lot of them are about people who are have no choice about the situation that they're in. Yeah. Through no fault of their own. It, it's not but, through the fault of yeah. their own. That the choices they have to make are between like worse and worse. You know what yeah. I mean? We're not talking Shakespearean tragedy here where Shakespearean tragedy defined by, you know, everybody's, you know, vices and sins and personality flaws, you know, basically yeah. cause everybody to die. Right. Yeah. That's not it here. That's Mm-mm. not it in a lot of these stories. It's it's stuff that people are dealing with through no through no choice of their own, through no actions of their own. Yeah. You know, and they're still having to deal with it, you know? That struck me a lot. Yeah. Um, so we have uh the unremembered, Remembered. which is a fourth story. Another one, like fantasy type story with the conjure woman yeah and it's archetype yeah yeah i mean to me this one was about what was lost for for people who who were you know kidnapped and brought to this country yeah what was lost what we don't know you know like what what stories what people in their history who have these vast accomplishments that have just been erased from the earth. Yeah. You know, 
I read once that it was, it was, you know, well, why, why is it, you know, African-American, right? Yeah. And the response that I saw was, you know, it's that because black people in America don't know where they're from. Yeah. You know, they don't know if they're, you know, a lot of them don't know if they're Ethiopian or, you know, whatever, you know, from Cameroon or from, you know, where or all these yeah. places, you know, Kenya, Nigeria, like, yeah, what country they don't know. Yeah. They don't know. And all of those countries have different histories and have different cultures and all of that stuff. And that got robbed yeah. away. My family. I mean, my last name is Delisle. I'm in a French name. I can trace my family back. Okay. Like there's some, you know, Duke somewhere, mm -hmm. you know, there was a Duke Delisle back somewhere in the middle ages. Yeah. I have that. I can trace my lineage back to that. White people in this country can say, oh, I have Irish heritage. I have Spanish heritage. You know, I have, you know, German heritage, whatever. Black people don't have that. Yeah. We do. Took away their language, their religion, their yeah. stories, their culture, yeah. everything. And that's really what I feel like this story was about. About that it hurts. It like It's a physical manifestation of that forgetting. Mm -hmm. That it's manifesting the soul hurt of not having that in 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 her body and in the, in this girl's 12 year old girl's body. Yeah. Not knowing where you come from, not knowing that culture, that connection. And I would say also like, um, like children who are adopted from other countries, you know, whether that's also Russia, China, India, like wherever, you know, it's obvious, like you look at them and it's, you know, there is just kind of this assumption of like there's this culture that you're missing out on because you were whether you were forcefully taken from it or adopted which i guess you can arguably say if you're adopting a child from another country like that that kid has no say in where in where they go so they're being right. you know taken but to not understand or not even have like knowledge of your heritage or where you come from. It is, I mean, like you, it's not something I've had, not really something that I've never not experienced i mean mm -hmm. just because my, my most recent ancestors they came over in the 20s to new york so grew up with a oh, lot yeah? of italian cool. culture in my family just because of my mom so you have italian side. oh yeah big italian heritage <laughs> yeah. you know but i have the luxury of that because my yeah my ancestors had that choice to come over here and they settled in different boroughs throughout new york the bronx brooklyn um mm -hmm. where there were italian communities there so they were able to keep the culture mm -hmm. intact 
Whereas if we're talking about, you know, blacks who were taken from different places in Africa during the slave trade, they were forcibly brought over, had their identities, their cultures erased. And if I'm remembering correctly, like a lot of the time, sometimes these people would end up on plantations. They spoke different languages mm-hmm. and things like that. So and like a, they from that, they had to kind of create a, a new culture, mm-hmm. you exactly. know, and a new identity mm-hmm. and something that reading this story, it, it's very clear that this is not only just an important thing to have, but this is a crucial thing to have yeah. and for it to be accepted for the emotional and mental well-being of this person. Yeah, I mean, because at the end, you know, they had the priest come in, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a lot of times what happened in history. You know, they were converted, yeah, you know, to Christianity and all of these other things um, instead of what they, they came here with. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of this modern rebuke of that. Like this girl says, no, I remember. I remember now. So I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to follow your faith. I'm not going to follow your history that you want for me. Cause that's, cause that's not my history. You want this for me. I don't want it. I should be able to choose. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's, it's, you know, I saw a bunch of things where um, you can see videos on YouTube of people getting their um, DNA mm, and yeah. stuff. And it's really fascinating you know to watch white people versus black people get this a lot of Mm -hmm. times when i've seen these videos for black people they're learning stuff they had no idea you know they don't know this is a gateway for them to learn yeah (laughs) like what country they're from you know, like where their heritage is. Yeah. And it's emotional for a lot of them. Where you have white people, it's like, oh yeah, you know, my great daddy came from, my great granddaddy came from Spain. You know, that makes, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not because they know, you know, and, and it's, and it's how they can, like, they start looking stuff up on the internet to see, you know, what is that country like? You know, where did I come from? You yeah. know, and, and stuff like that. And, and um, there's another show called Who Do You Think You Are? Mm-hmm. Where, um, you know, they take celebrities and mm-hmm. uh, trace their lineage. And when they do black celebrities versus white celebrities, black celebrities, it's a lot harder. The drama is a lot, is a lot yeah. harder for them to realize where they came from and the things that might have happened. You know, yeah. You sit there and and you see that, yeah. It's 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 like one of those things where somebody goes and looks at their thing and just like, oh, there's this white guy in my family tree. Well, how do you think that happened, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's yeah, it's it it, it, it digs up <laughs> like so many stories of like stuff we already knew happened, just based on historical records and. Mm-hmm. And things like that. But then I couldn't even like begin to imagine like when you find out like, no, 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 I am like a product 
of something that happened like over a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't even begin to imagine like that emotional, like the emotional weight of that, how big of, how big of a deal it is to find out about that, like little historical piece yeah. of your family. Yeah. Cause I don't have anything like that in my family. The only <laughs> surprising thing I found out when I did my DNA is like somewhere I have a British or Irish ancestor and I'm like, oh, what? My family didn't come come from there, yeah. so I'm like, oh, it's it married in somewhere. I don't know. And then apparently they also traced back a little bit of my DNA to like um, Egypt and like oh. two other like North African countries. And mm. I'm like, that's totally not surprising considering the my migration patterns throughout mm. world history from Africa, especially to countries like Italy and Greece and just that part yeah. of, of I got the mine and mine yeah. was uh very heavily French. So yeah. my dad, no surprise. No yeah. surprise with a name like mine and and my dad even says that I probably have cousins in France still. Oh like sure. like distant yeah. cousins, you know, but but it just makes you think that what you take for granted, right? Yeah. Like knowing your history and knowing this stuff about yourself. You know, so it's like manifesting physically that's that soul pain. Yeah. You know, of what of what's lost that you may not even know that you lost, you yeah. know. So yeah, so <laughs> moving on the next story. Uh Chocolate oh. Park. Chocolate Park. Another kind of conjure woman story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I man, I felt for this because i've known people who get into that cycle you know like Mm -hmm. and it's it's rough and that decision that she was just that they had tried so hard and she was just not caring and holding them back and making everybody cry and Mm -hmm. and the decision to just cut kind of cut it off you know yeah cut that relationship off with your sister not just in and harshly too like when i say cut it off yeah. i mean she gets she gets killed by her other sister you know i mean that's yeah. it's final you like know that's that's the final like yeah we're ending this relationship like yeah i mean it's there's one of those things where it had gotten to the point where it was like they were so entangled in that drama and that pain their sister had yeah. You know, and, and the addiction that she had, that if she was alive, they would just get embroiled in it again. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, have you ever had that, that person in your life who just has so much drama and just every time they just try to get you sucked into it and you're just yeah. like, no, I can't. You know, oh, yeah. like I, I don't, do I don't talk that. to those people anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. But I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you went over, like, there's, there's a lot of like relationship, either interpersonal or like, I don't think extraneous is quite the right word, but like not immediate family relationships. Yeah. Like immediate family relationships, but then also relationships to society. 
at large. Yeah. yeah I agree with you that all yeah. these stories, the relationship in it that often is the most is the relationship between the characters and society itself. Yeah. That in itself is a relationship. And every single story has an aspect of that, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, yeah. uh, and it makes you think that so much you know, I mean, we're just two white women talking about these stories, but yeah. it makes you think that for black people, that is a heavy relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not not so much as it is with us. Yeah. Right? It, it's it's one of the biggest relationships, most most, you know, I guess looming relationships in their life is their relationship to society, where they yeah. can go, what they can do, how far they can go. Yeah. Who they can be with, what they can and can't do, what types mm-hmm. of jobs they can and can't have, what they can and can't say. Yeah. And I mean, as we've mentioned before, too, like to a lesser extent, like women as a whole. Yeah. Deal with that, have dealt with that. But the color of, you know, your skin adds an extra layer or yeah. several. A huge layer. Beyond that. And that's you know, what people like you and I haven't experienced, will never experience. Yeah, um, it, it's very and it's much this like, oppressive relationship. It's this thing that you can't get rid of. You know, it's it's yeah. that they're, the people's relationships in these stories with society is something that they can't run away from. They can't get away. It's there every day. Yeah. You know and what it, I mean? Absolutely. And on on that same point, like kind of one of the other like strong themes of this is like um black women being seen as sexual objects you know i mean coco begins to prostitute she becomes a prostitute to get money to pay for the drugs that she was addicted to it is such a common like story like a real story for so many black women in this country but also a larger representation of like you are you're not really a person because you're morally like rep reprehensible because you do these things but it's like take a step back and ask yourself how this person got to this point because Mm -hmm. there's you know guarantee somewhere along the line you know society already set this person up for failure Mm-hmm. And sadly, some people, you know, just f- fall into those trappings and are stuck in those kinds of sit- situations, even if they want to get out or get help or get clean. Yeah. But they don't have the resources to do it on their own, or society just doesn't, they just wants to ignore them. Um, so the only kind of support system that I, I saw was just between um, Sable and Ebony yeah. in, in this story. And, you know, I, I, I wish, like, my relationship with my sibling was, like, a lot stronger. Oh, yeah. um, I haven't talked yeah. to my sibling in <laughs> I don't know how long, but. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's you like, know, it's what you have, you know, it's all you have, and to yeah. break that, right? You know, to, to break, break, yeah, 
like to have a strong family connection. Um, and I mean, Eb- Ebony is, you know, struggling to raise Sable and, and help Coco. And she's trying to do all of these things to keep the familial unit together. Right. Mm-hmm. And then at Again, we're, we come back to they don't really have any real choices. They're mm-hmm. just stuck between um, a, a rock and a hard place. And the choice that they make was ultimately the, the less shitty alternative, as, as, as you mentioned before, to continuing to let Coco spiral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for sure, you know, and I think what she saw when they flew away might have been the one that was less about, uh, the next one, the, what, what she saw was more about grief, you know, than yeah, I think that one out of all of them had the less to do with society, but it kind of does. Yeah. Is society telling you, you know, you should be over this by now. Yeah. Time will heal this this pain and stuff like that. And you know, yeah. it doesn't, you know, no, it, it just doesn't. doesn't. And um yeah. I mean, that's really what I felt when when I read that one mm-hmm. was you know, that grief is grief, you know, and you can't force it to go away. You know, you can't yeah. you can't force it. And grief is one of those things that you don't you don't get over it. You learn to live with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that can be grief over relationships, grief over someone who passed away. Yeah. You know, whatever. Um, but grief isn't something that, that ends. It's yeah. just something that you live with, that you sort of like absorb into the fabric of your being changes you and moves on to, with your life. You know, there was, there was before that particular grief and then there was after it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just put it into the fabric of your makeup and move on, you know, fabric and makeup of your, of your life. And you move on from that. Yeah. It's what you, and I, you know, from this other story, what she saw when, when they flew away, I mean, the setting, the two birds free that were trapped in their apartment, like, I 100% agree. That's not supposed to be like, okay, I'm letting go. I'm over it now. It's not weighing me down anymore. This grief, blah, blah, blah. It's more of like a choosing not to let it weigh you down, but acknowledging that it's always going to be there Mm -hmm. and how you channel that grief, what you choose to do with that grief is Mm. important and i mean i can tell from you know experience like losing god 2015 one of my grandmothers died 2016 Mm. i lost a friend to heroin 2017 my other grandmother died 2018 my dad died you know so just like these huge events just one year apart and you it's much easier to carry it around over time that's for sure but you're one day, like something just triggers it and it could be something totally small that makes you, that reminds you of an event, like a mm-hmm. piece of clothing that they wore, like something that they said to you, whether that's good or bad. And then you just kind of feel it all over again. <laughs> and, yeah, it's uh, true. 
You know, I heard one people talking about it as like this button that's in your mind. Oh, yeah. You know, and at first it bounces around and you're constantly hitting that button. And then, you know, it lessens over time, you know, the ball bouncing in your brain doesn't yeah. hit that grief button every so often. But then something will happen and it'll hit it and then you feel it all over again. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah, understandable. Yeah. Understandable, you know. Um yeah, we we are just so everybody knows we are coming up in an hour, but we're about halfway through. <laughs> so, I think we should just keep through these I think, and, yeah. and let's just give them all the do that they need. Absolutely. Um, because I think we have a lot to tell. We may go a little bit over fair warning, folks. If you have to pause and come back, we totally understand. Oh, yeah. That's fine. I'm <laughs> expecting maybe another 30 minutes max. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Speaking of pain and grief, good yeah. segue into the next one. <laughs> he who takes the pain away. Yeah. Man, this one. Yeah. Do, do, do you feel like the way that the stories in this collection are arranged that they just get, and I, and this is not a bad thing by, by any means, but they just get like tougher and tougher and yeah. it's meant to slowly like chip away at you more and more and more. I think that was done on purpose, like very strategically. Yeah. I think authors carefully choose which yeah. stories are going to go where. Um, I mean, these are all tough stories. Yeah. Um, and they build you know, on top of each other. And I think the title and the first story, the let's play white it is really indicative of, of the stuff within, you know, it's yeah. really about, you know, what, what black people experience and what mm -hmm. they have to do. Yeah. You know, and, and what's going on and everything. So I think that the picking of the title of the anthology and the first story just really sets that, like, this is what you're going to be in for with the rest of these stories. Yeah. Um, so he who takes the pain away, you know, Talking about this one in the time of COVID is interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it gives it a, I don't know if I, if I had read this story um, a year ago, if I would have the same reaction or interpretation of it that I did now. Mm -hmm. There's just that overarching what's happening in the real world layer that just fits so yeah like tragically beautifully <laughs> into the story but anyway sorry yeah you know <laughs> people who are so you know it's like you you know my first instinct was to blame these people right to say mm -hmm. why aren't you listening to this nurse you know why aren't you you know, doing all of this, right? You know, why yeah. aren't you listening and, and letting them help you? And, and, you know, all these people wouldn't have to die. Yeah. Right. Then I took a second thought and I thought if you have a people who have been lied to, oppressed, yeah. just beaten down, right and been told that like and and have come not been told but been shown 
through many examples that the only people that you can trust are the people in your community, you know, not people who have gone over, you know, to something you don't trust and something you don't know, but just the people in your community. Um, yeah. Would you do the same thing, right? You know, if you have this community who has been just only relying on each other and maybe have been, you know, Mm -hmm. screwed over by somebody from the outside even if that person from the outside is trying to help you if you've been taught if you've been shown if you've been taught that, that you can't trust anybody that they're yeah. not trustworthy to outside of your community then you know what what would you do you might not you might think yeah. it's better just to listen you know and everything like that right Absolutely. And I don't know if there's any more that I can add to that because you put it so eloquently. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I guess like the only thing I can add is like, it makes me, and I don't remember something I saw on Twitter like a while ago. Um, but what, one of the things, or, and it, it actually kind of relates to something that I wrote about, um, at the start of the pandemic about mm. how, um, people in black communities are more likely to be diagnosed with COVID or, you know, suffer more, um, what's, what's the word for it? Um, like more related conditions. And part of that is like reliable access to healthcare. But then the other part of it is there are lots of different diseases and illnesses where the signs and symptoms like present themselves very differently in blacks versus whites. And the example that this individual gave on their um, Twitter feed was, I think if you look at um, like, I think it was Lyme, Lyme disease. So mm -hmm. when you get bit by a tick with Lyme Mm -hmm. Um, the way for light colored skin, the way it manifests, it's this nice red looking rash sort of thing ring. Um, and a lot of doctors, you know, are trained to look for that. It's in medical textbooks, mm -hmm. you know, so it's very obvious to diagnose if you are a light skinned individual, mm -hmm. you have dark, dark skin. It mm -hmm. looks different mm -hmm. and some doctors aren't trained to recognize how it's supposed to look on black skin versus white skin. So a lot, so stuff like that goes undiagnosed for even longer, causing even more health problems. So that's what this immediately made me think of, mm -hmm. you know, with the whole distrust <laughs> issue. So you know, and then, you know, people in general who go to doctors and they say something is wrong with me. I know my body and doctors who treat them like they're, they're crazy or a burden who don't want to even look, look into it. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, there's that, that whole other issue too. So, yeah. yeah. And, but there's also this, I mean, uh, there's also, I also think a little bit at the end, with the with the you know the woman coming in and kind of chastising the congregation that when you think about the symbolism of it mm -hmm. 
as well. You know, you have that aspect, the medical aspect of it. They're dying mm. of smallpox. But the the name that she made for the woman at the end was Hope. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And their congregation had this, this, this nihilistic attitude, right? We're going to yeah. die anyway. Right. The man who takes pain away. We're not going to. They had this nihilistic attitude. Yeah. And Hope is something that these people have shunned because they don't feel like they they do have hope yeah. or can have hope in a metaphorical sense. So there's also that aspect of it. You know, there's, yeah. there's the, they've been shown they not to trust, but to turn away even having hope of anything better is, is at the crux of that, I think. Mm-hmm. That, that hope is not something that they can afford to have. Which also brings in a question too, like, are they doing the right thing by shunning hope? Because if if you think about like the mythological story of Pandora's box, right? Hope is the last thing to come out of that. But it's like everything that comes out of the box are really bad things. And hope can be a really bad thing in some instances to hang on to because it could get to a point where you're like – Deluding yourself. Did I did I use that word correctly? Yeah. I yeah, think. deluding yourself. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. like something is gonna change. So you can also look at it like and you stay too long in a situation. Yeah. Because you have hope that it's gonna change. Yeah. So it can be bad. You're right. It's true. Yeah. But that it what this story presents so it's like no matter what these people do they are screwed yeah that is a sad reality of it it was sad and frustrating and i would i want to like reach into the story and like change this for people i you know want to be able to yeah <laughs> i want change damn it yeah <laughs> yeah to go in and and yeah but it's like between hope and and what's the best way philosophy to go through life having yeah. hope or not or accepting fate you know and and it's one of yeah. those things i guess but thinking of change you want to change the next story is cue change yeah what we're getting good with these segues like Ooh, we're smooth <laughs> see we shouldn't draw attention to it though because then it seems oh, right. less smooth yeah um, <laughs> i'm proud of our accomplishments <laughs> <laughs> zombie story oh yes but you know i mean like a lot of this i think you know there's a lot of philosophy under here too mm-hmm uh, because of the type of zombies that they are, you know, you get the typical, you know, zombies, you know, heard, you know, gathering and starting and people denying that the zombie thing was happening until it was too late. And now they're all holed up in their buildings and, and they decide they have to go to get the electricity back on. God damn, and, it's not like COVID. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Jeez. <laughs> but yeah, so... <clears throat> Yeah, and but the twist of it is how these zombies are. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's the twist of it. Yeah. Like, these zombies, you know, are not like what we would think of. It's this kind of cult-like thing. Yeah. You know, where they're trying to infect, and but they make it seem like 
they're doing you a favor or whatever they're evolving and it's this very it reminded me of the borg from star trek in yeah, a kind, yeah, yeah. in a kind of way cuz they just want to assimilate everything and they think oh no 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 we're making you better we're making your society your race better if you're just going to be like us yeah yeah but you know not giving people you know the lady sims you know was not about that saying the line that she really said to me like that's not a choice yeah that's not a choice you know if you're deciding what's best for everybody that's not a choice you know like and i think it's really it's really about that i mean Mm -hmm. metaphorically i'm thinking it could be probably just about assimilating into what society expects of you yeah much like the walter and the three-legged king was yeah the whole conforming to white culture yeah aspect of it exactly um but i mean what's what's interesting is like the the protagonist uh, just kind of ends up like like walter like conforms to society and just accepts what is to be what is to become of them you know you know and they kind of like embrace it to to some extent and it didn't again just just like you said that's that's not a choice but it felt more like if they are going to survive this is what they have to do uh-huh. sucks that should not it's not a choice anybody should should be forced into yeah yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's rough that that one was rough yeah it's like so off-putting like really how the zombies were were off-putting yeah very off-putting yeah yeah just it it made it made me go and i don't know if you had the same reaction to it it made me go my god i hope i have never come across like this in my entire life right yeah i hope i have never said anything this stupid yeah and if i had treated somebody like that like it's almost condescending, right? Like yeah. a little bit, you know? Yeah. And if I have, I... Faux sympathy, too. That's what yeah. really bothered me, that these zombies were like, we're so sorry, we don't want to, you know? Which bugs we, me more than We don't, don't want to eat you. Like, yeah, yeah. We don't want to hurt you and everything and all this stuff and make it easier on yourself, you know? It's like it's like when the thing is like you know when the villain always tries to do something like oh look what you made me do don't make me do this like bitch no one's making you do anything yeah no one's making you do anything mm-hmm. you're doing this yeah trying made- trying to trying to victim blame trying to yeah. trying to put it off that they're the ones that are making this hard they're the ones that are that are making this situation horrific mm-hmm. instead of you know like no. It's the fucking zombie outbreak. Yeah. You know, or, like, you know, it's you're the one that's threatening to shoot my girlfriend. I didn't do anything, you know, to make that yeah. happen, you know? It's like, you're making this harder for us if you just shut up and accept it. Yeah. There wouldn't be any problems. Like, yeah. that that whole aspect of it, and especially with, like, not just with the pandemic that's going on right now, but essentially like all the protests that are happening around the United States and essentially the next like civil rights movement. I can't tell you how many times I have heard people 
say that, you know, like you shouldn't protest here. You need to protest this way. You, you should say it like this, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't do X, Y, Z, but then yeah. no matter, no matter what you do, it's not acceptable. And that's what it really came across. That that's even more than like COVID. That in relation to mm-hmm. so like all the civil rights movements in this country throughout history. That's what stuck out to me the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Really. <laughs> so uh, we have three more left. Uh, the next three more stories left. The the next one is the room where Ben disappeared. Uh. <sighs> This one, it's about your past again. I, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways it's leaving, you know, this character left home and is coming back and is having to face what happened, right? I think, I think this is the only like white protagonist in here. I think so. Yeah. Cause there's, um, his, his nanny is black and the boy there's yeah you know Uh, his family is is white yeah so there's that Uh, whole and his family mammy is the only yeah that yeah that mammy image that comes into play yeah and it's like facing that it's kind of about facing you know your history and your actions and and your your you know where you came from Mm mm-hmm yeah, so I mean what what we're dancing around is that basically like David goes home to visit his family and then he learns that um he un, unknown to him played a role in the disappearance of the nanny's son. Mhm. And having to come to terms with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's what have you know and for me it was it was just in general it's like what have you been complicit in really that you yeah. didn't know or didn't realize right mm-hmm. you know maybe not something so egregious as that but have you ever been complicit in silencing someone's voice have you ever been complicit in making something less diverse have you ever been complicit in making somebody feel uncomfortable and the truth is we have yeah i guarantee it you know you and i personally not just talking about in general white people but you and i personally yeah probably have 100 percent didn't realize it yeah we have so what do you do with that what do you what do you do with that 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 knowledge that that yeah. even if you didn't mean to, even if even if you you blocked it out, the damage is still done. It still affects yeah. the past, the present, and the future. You know, it still affects your present, still affects your future, and yeah. those of people that you have done it to. You know, you you may have inadvertently contributed to someone, you know, not becoming an artist or not becoming a writer because of something you said, something you didn't understand in their work. Yeah. Because you didn't understand, right? What have you been complicit in? And knowing that me personally, Danny, have been complicit in that, you have to 
you have to come to terms with it, right? There's nothing you yeah. can do about it. That's the thing. And the instinct is to say, one, probably I've never done anything like that. Which or two, is bullshit. But... Which is not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have. Or two, wanting to try to fix it. Wanting to try to do something, maybe overcompensate or something like that. And the fact mm. is, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, you... you it's there. It's done. It's over with. There's nothing you can do intent yeah. or not to repair that damage that you have done. You know, the like, best thing you can do is, is to stop doing to it, stop doing it, to be, to be aware, <laughs> Yeah, to learn more so that you don't do as many yeah. inadvertent things, you know, as many, not, not even that you can cut them out completely. You yeah. know, we're so soaked in our society, but that you, you you try to learn more and try to mitigate the damage that you do, make it less. Yeah. That's yeah, what this whole story was all about. And I think you mentioned that um this was the first story so far in the collection where the protagonist um is white. I think that was very like just look at everything we just talked about right now. I feel mm. that was very intentional on the author's part mm -hmm. and this was one of the hardest ones for me to read but i am so glad that not only was this story in this collection but i am glad that i had the opportunity to read it yeah it's, it's important it, like it's in and important is not even like the best word for it like it is it is necessary. It's necessary for yeah. you to, to to wrestle with that, and that's hard because you 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 know you're a good person, right? And yeah. good person or not, you still do things. You still make mistakes. You still hurt people. Yeah, you know, no matter how good you try to be, just because of how our world is, how society is, it shouldn't mm -hmm. be, but it is, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's hard to sit with. That's hard. It's hard to understand and hard yeah. to sit with. You know, I mean, nobody, nobody who has a good heart wants to think that they hurt somebody. Yeah. Or that they're ignorant mm. or that, you know, they've done something racist or they've done something sexist or they've done something homophobic. But we have. Yeah. Because that's the fabric. And even being queer, even even being, you know, I'm bisexual, even being that, you can still get caught up in it, right? You know, mm -hmm. you can still get caught up in it. You still get caught up in society. Society teaches you these things no matter who you are. You know? Yeah. Um, the last two, um, The Light of Cree and The Teachings and Redemption of... Miss Fanny Lou Mason. Um, I really are kind of both about being guides, being uh, being being a, a beacon in a way, being a help, being a healer. Yeah, you know, being like a light worker, being somebody who has the ability to help right yeah 
and not just help, but a lot of them had to do with helping uh, spirits. Both of the stories had to do with mm-hmm. helping spirits who couldn't move on. You know? Yeah. It's, um, again, these two stories coming right after the room where Ben disappeared. It's like, okay, now that you realize this, try to be like a source of um, trust and strength for people who need it. And people aren't going to yeah. understand you and people are going yeah. to, to not want you to do that. You know, and people are going to fight you on it and people are going to, you're going to lose friendships over it. You're going to lose, you know, your life over it maybe. Mm-hmm. But once you see, yeah. once you can see these things and once you can understand these things, you know, you need to use that, you know, to help in any way you can. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, literally, like, like Fanny, like, literally sacrificing herself mm-hmm. so the twins could have that good future, have a solid mm-hmm. path, a good life ahead of them, or at least the best possible lives that they, that they could have. Like... Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is the most like selfless act anybody could do, mm-hmm. you know. Because up up until this point, a lot of the stories have or not they've they've like revolved somewhat around survival, right? I mean, literally, you have one that's a zombie apocalypse, mm-hmm. and the guy does what he can to survive. Um, but this is quite literally the opposite of that. And it, you know, it takes a very strong, resolute person to be ready to die, especially like that. You know, it was very also um, motherly too. Mm-hmm. Got that sense of, yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, you know, mentor figures. Yeah. And both of them, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and just this, you know, in a lot of these stories, um, well, a few of them, um, the, the, uh, I make people do bad things. The unremembered, the light of Cree, the teachings and redemption of Miss Fanny Lou Mason, you know, a lot of these things, mm-hmm. you know, they have these uh, people in it who have abilities that aren't understood, but are necessary. Yeah. You know, things happen to them that, that they don't, but they're there and they're necessary for things mm-hmm. to go on. I mean, even I make people do bad things, you know, it's like she has that ability and we don't find out why she just has it. Yeah. But it's like, I often like to think that if you ever think about oh, if people did have abilities and stuff like that, if you think it's kind of like, you know, the X-Men and, you know, people get these things through genetics and stuff like that, you got to think that there's a reason. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean, that I, I tend to think that in stuff like this, that this is natural, that these are, there, there's a reason why these people can do these things and other others can't, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like if you think and if if you believe in mediums or psychics and thing, things like that, that 
definitely fall it falls under the very definition of some things this something that most people can't do mm-hmm. so it's like this person was bestowed this gift that one other people most people probably won't understand but two probably won't even believe is real um another group of people who think you know they're the devil incarnate just because Mm -hmm. that they have these abilities that we're taught aren't real or especially if you come from a christian based religion you're taught that is is evil Mm -hmm. so um specifically like fanny lou mason um you know like a lot of the other stories, these images of conjure women who yeah. perform chocolate like, park they, had that. Yeah. Well and- yeah. They perform like a type of voodoo. It, that very much falls into those whole Christian based teachings of like, this is black magic. This, this is evil. But what you, how you see what, how Fanny like uses her magic and how she wants to impart that on to the twins basically mm-hmm. i mean giving like g- giving up your life so somebody else could thrive is the very definition of, of what jesus christ himself did you know mm-hmm. so how regardless of what type of religious or magical beliefs this woman you know like engages with on a day-to-day basis like the very last thing she did in her life was to give somebody else a shot at a better one. Mm-hmm. Ultimate sacrifice. And I mean, grow, growing up Catholic, like that was honed into our heads about Jesus. Like he, like the ultimate sac- sacrifice. Mm-hmm. He was put to death so he could absolve the world of its sins. Yeah. To forgive us, you know? It's like, why does he get to do that? But somebody else doesn't, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, well, that was all the stories in there. So we had a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, so I think now, no, I mean, like I feel like know, I rambled on a lot, but no, no, no. I mean, I did too. But you know, just thinking about, but so now I think we should just talk about some overall things, some overall points. If we thought anything, kind of making the collection come together we've mentioned a couple yeah Yeah, we mentioned that these stories are full of desperate people people trying to survive people who are desperate for something whether connection whether Mm -hmm. a family whether drugs whether you know people who are desperate for things it's also full of people who who are othered from society in a variety of ways whether by the color of their skin or by the things that they can do um, I also found a big connection in the fact that in all these stories, right, I found an interesting or I felt like I found or read an interesting, I mean, my whole philosophy with any of this stuff is we don't find meaning in things, we create it. Mm-hmm. You know, when we read, it's in, when we're interpreting writing, you know, we, we don't find meaning in it. You know, we, can't, we don't uncover it like an archaeological dig. Yeah. We create it. We create it through our lens. We read it. We filter it through our lens. We create that meaning and what we see in it. And one of the things that I saw that I that I took away from it was the people who were othered. The you know, especially around the 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 magic 
and like you know like the the black lady mm-hmm. um lady black and and um you know fanny lou mason and Cree and all of that was that people knew what they were it was unspoken right but the people mm-hmm. around them and the people who interacted with them knew who they were they know they they knew who these people were and what they did and they would come to them in secret and stuff like that and everybody knew it's just open secret not so secret secret yeah and i think that that extrapolates a lot into into society that there are things about society that everybody knows but nobody speaks out loud yeah right that that we know how things are in a real sense we just don't speak it out loud you know um for a variety of reasons for a variety of reasons we don't we don't speak about how black people are treated everybody knows how black people are treated but we don't speak about it you know now more and more we're speaking about it but everybody knows and as much as people try to put off how you treat people about who they are right you know Mm -hmm. they may tell you they're not giving you this job because of such and such but everybody knows they're not giving it to you because you're gay right it's that sort of thing right just that veneer of oh we don't know but we know you know like everybody knows yeah why this is happening everybody knows who you are and everybody knows why this is happening we just don't talk about it and there were elements of that how the people knew who what these women could do and who they were recognized it in them mm-hmm. you know and sometimes it was mentored in a mentor sense like Cree's grandmother or yeah. you know fanny mentoring the twins but oftentimes it was the town knowing and then just getting pissed off about it at some point when they weren't doing what they wanted you yeah. know like at the beginning of the Fannie Lou Mason story. Yeah, it's it's like, oh, okay. Like you won't acknowledge my existence, but you know, when you're in a hard spot, you expect me to help you out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's just like everybody knows, everybody can see it. They just don't want to acknowledge it want to bring it drag it out into the open that they know that that they're willing to make use of what these people can do you know but don't understand it or a little afraid of it and will turn on it in a second you know and that's what happens right you know sometimes you know if you want to get real real you know somebody has a black friend right Mm-hmm. You know, and you can talk all day long about how they're your friend. But then the day comes when you're invited somewhere and you don't invite your black friend because they wouldn't enjoy it, quote unquote. But you yeah. know, that's not the reason you're inviting them. Yep. You're inviting them because you got a racist friend in the group or you're inviting them because they're black and you don't think they would enjoy, you know, a whole bunch of things. Yeah. That's the truth underneath it is you didn't invite them to glass black, but you tell yourself it was for some other reason, right? Instead yeah. Of just outright acknowledging it, you know? Yeah. You know, or perhaps maybe dump that racist friend and stop. Yeah, exactly. Stop, stop. See, then you have to acknowledge yeah. that it's there, right? You have to have yeah. a confrontation about it, right? You have to. Yeah. You know, and everybody knows they have that friend, right? And it yeah. creates that missing stare effect that everybody knows, but nobody says anything and you just tiptoe around it. 
you know, until it blows up in your face. Yeah. And I saw elements of that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so did you see any other, were there any other like larger kind of points? Uh, um, to talk about? I just found it interesting that Burke focused a lot on like the image of the conjure woman mm-hmm. um but also just how many different types of stories and representations there was of something that is you know stereotyped a lot throughout books and media and everything else and it was wonderful to see not only such a variety of representations, but to essentially have those representations like, like just strike down that stereotype, like without apology. Just mm-hmm. like, wow, this is, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> you know, and who knows? Here we are. We've been talking about you never unwillingly know, but. You know, who knows what we've said here, you know, that yeah. somebody may be like cringing at, you know, if they listen oh, to it, right? Yeah. You know, we're making our observations based on our experiences, white women, right? Yeah. So obviously that's that's how we're seeing it. We're trying to extrapolate about what we know and trying to liken it to our own feelings and what we know and what we've read and stuff like that. And that's the best that we can do. But we've, you know. Along the, along this, you know, now hour and a half episode, we probably have messed up, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we just have to, have to, you know, just understand that there's a lot that we probably haven't picked up on. Yeah. A lot that we don't know. And it would be, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way too of what I'm about, about to say, but like, I want to know, like, not just if I messed up, but where I messed up and why I messed up. Like, educate me educate us if we fucked up (laughs) you know like yeah you know but of course you know it's also one of those things where you know even if we get educated we're still never gonna know because we haven't had that experience so yeah you know we can do our best to like shut up and listen and and try to read as much as we can and learn from people who are already doing and putting out videos putting out blog posts writing books about these issues you know, yeah. talk with our friends who are willing to talk to us about yeah. this stuff. But we still, we still yeah, will never it, know. Absolutely. And I mean, we can't force anybody to educate us yeah. either. You know, they yeah. have to be willing to come to the table and talk, you know. Yeah. And if, if they do, that's wonderful. And if they don't, that is their choice. And that choice should be respected too. Yeah. Yes, we should be the ones to 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 try to to parse through what we can with these stories. Yeah. And I feel like I did. I learned a lot reading these stories. So I'm so glad we picked this to talk about. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, and yeah, if y'all got through this point, which I hope you did, go buy this anthology right now. Yeah. Go, go read it. And um, uh, Dr. Burke is on Twitter and um, she has a website and everything. So you can go check out more of her stuff. Yeah. You know, or if you go to Stetson University, you can go and take her classes. Yeah. So I want to take one of her classes. Like, (laughs) (laughs) 
I saw uh, she mentioned something about like talking about um, Octavia Butler to one of her classes mm-hmm. and Butler's one of my favorite like science fiction authors, but I've, uh-huh. ne- I've never, the only time anybody has ever taught like a Butler story in a class was one science fiction and fan and fantasy writing class that I took in grad school. And you actually got that in grad school. We didn't have anything that specific when I went to grad school. Oh my God. It was like, that's, that was the moment that started me on. Oh my gosh. Octavia Butler is amazing. Let me go get a bunch more of her, you know, short Mm -hmm. stories and, you know, things, things like that. And it's like, if, a lot, a lot of the time, like stuff that we're taught in school, the material that we are given to read and asked to study and asked to write about, like had I had a professor who didn't present that story for us to read and dissect and analyze, mm-hmm. who knows if mm-hmm. I would have latched onto Butler ever or at that point or soon after. Mm-hmm. So, and I hope you know, we can, as we continue to do these podcasts, we can do at least a good enough service to authors who maybe you've never heard of before or filmmakers Mm -hmm. you've never heard of before. So you can go out and go read their stuff. Mm -hmm. So please pick up Let's Play White by Dr. Chessia Burke. You Mm -hmm. will not regret it. (laughs) Yeah. It's really good stuff. It's really good stuff. Uh, Why don't you, what are we doing next? Um, <laughs> it's so it's gonna be such a funny segue. I don't even know next. how we're gonna talk about. This. Oh my god! So, in the spirit of keeping things light and merry with the holidays, um, holidays, and, yeah, even and, though we're stuck in our houses, holidays, you know, we're, we're, holidays. Yeah. Uh, Full Madonna in there for whatever. I know, reason. right? Um, we are going to be. It's celebration of Thanksgiving. I'm sorry. This one's my fault. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I, I am just as excited. We're going to be talking about Thanksgiving. Boobs they- in the first second, Joanna. <laughs> They're going to be the first- boob first second. Danny, spoilers. Come on spoilers. now. <laughs> it's the first second, um, Oh my gosh. Uh, so Thanksgiving, the 2008 <laughs> absurd comedy slasher. I, I mean, the title kind of says it all, but we're going to see yes. kind of character relationships we can pull out of our ass for. Yeah, I mean, we just, we one. may just, you know, there is a, 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 a lot to talk about in terms of absurd comedy and trauma type films. Um, yeah, you know, and, and how we relate to those and why we relate to those, not even necessarily talking about the relationships in the movie itself, but just people's relationship to this kind of media, um, yeah. you know, and I just, uh, you know, I threw it in here and I said, you know, we're trying to think of movies that were things that were holiday, you know, what can we read for each, you know, holiday coming out? We did the Trivial Pursuit horror edition for Halloween. Um, and now we do Dr. Burke's um, book as a palate cleanser uh, before we get into Thanksgiving. And uh, yeah, Thanksgiving is just, I mean, if you watch it, 
uh, before to listen to our to our podcast. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I am sorry. Uh, but uh, don't apologize. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone's going to be thinking things about me now. I just didn't want anybody to thinking of casting aspersions on you, thinking you had anything to do with this with this choice so, you know what though i fully support it okay so, you know right. what if i you're, am, you're a true girl you're a true girl pal <laughs> i am an accessory after the fact <laughs> and during the fact that makes me your accomplice just so. if you are in a state if you are in a state that uh, approves of certain substances i might recommend partaking in those before well you just gave it, me an idea enjoying yes I, I have definitely never, one of those yes of course I, not i haven't seen this movie yet so <laughs> i i if you're in a state where those are are legal then i i might recommend partaking of that just, oh my gosh this is this this can get crazy <laughs> <laughs> but all right, just wait till you see what we have in store for Christmas. <laughs> oh my God, I'm excited for for the holidays. Oh my gosh, but, the uh, holiday craziness. But yes, Marsh, tell them where they can find us and where they can yell at us if they watch this movie, <laughs> or in let us know space. that they bought a uh, Let's Play White. <laughs> yes, if, if if you are just gonna yell at us, do it nicely. I guess. I don't know. But um <laughs> please give us a follow on Twitter. We are at the box underscore podcast. You can listen to um all of our episodes on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. 